North Shore gridlock, the iron workers' emergency that brought traffic to a standstill. A clearer picture of the cargo ship disaster off Vancouver Island. It's now been determined that 109 have gone overboard. New details about what's in those lost containers and where some of them have washed ashore. And mail fail. Whatever happened to rain, sleet and snow, the mail comes through. Canada Post pauses delivery to a BC senior's home. How the vaccine mandate may be to blame. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. After revealing the existence of a little-known travel vaccination clinic yesterday, there are still many unanswered questions about how it operated and who used it. As Global News first reported yesterday, people have been receiving booster doses there to allow for international travel, even as the province's top doctor said shots would not be provided under those circumstances. Richard Zussman reports. It's been a clear message from the province. If you want a third COVID-19 dose to travel, it's not going to happen here. We're not systematically uh, providing a third dose for people just because of their desire for international travel. While Dr. Bonnie Henry was saying this, the province was indeed providing third doses to some travellers. Compassionate reasons or work reasons, an ability to get a third dose to travel. Very, very few people got that third dose but it was available and requests were made. Mixed and match dosing, as in one AstraZeneca and one mRNA, is not accepted for travel in some countries. The province said it purposefully did not advertise the policy. We knew that as soon as we just let it up, it would be on social media and everyone would come. But the minister and Dr. Henry were very, very clear. We, we are not going to provide a vaccine just for people to travel. The government won't say exactly how many people got the bonus shot. What is also unclear is whether few people got it because the policy was restrictive or because few people knew about the policy. Minister Adrian Dix not answering why the clinic was not advertised. People listen, contact us and seek doses regularly. And if there was a compassionate reason or a work reason, it was at the discretion of the medical health officer. It's still unclear whether the clinic checked every person who received the dose. One person told Global News they traveled from Vancouver Island to Vancouver to get a shot in order to attend a conference in Mexico. They say they tried to get the shot on Vancouver Island, was told that it was unavailable, and ultimately found out about the travel clinic by word of mouth. They believe the province should do a better job at advertising the actual policy. If John Horgan and his government created an environment or a situation where people could take advantage uh, of getting a booster shot, um, that needs to be fixed. Dix would not say if they're stopping these third doses on compassionate grounds, only that it's less of an issue now that the United States has approved mixed dosing for travel. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The B.C. Teachers Federation confirms the vast majority of the province's educators have rolled up their sleeves for two COVID vaccine doses. But a new survey reveals about 1,500 teachers across the province are still unvaccinated. The province never ordered a vaccine mandate in education, instead offloading that to individual school districts. Early on in the vaccination campaign, it was Surrey teachers among the first group to receive their shot. Considering the concern over school community transmission, it made sense. Eight months and a new school calendar later, an overwhelming majority of teachers 
have followed the science. According to a survey of 6,000 teachers done by the BC Teachers Federation, 94% have been given both doses of COVID vaccine. 1% partially protected. 2% reported being unvaccinated. And 2% didn't respond to the survey. We also were able to break this data down by jurisdiction. And every single health authority has at least 91% of teachers fully vaccinated. And so we're seeing some lower numbers as we would expect in Northern Health and Interior Health. There are just more than 77,000 teaching licenses in BC. If 2% are unvaccinated, that means approximately 1,545 teachers are potentially putting their colleagues and students at risk. The liberal education critic believes the government has downloaded the responsibility to school boards who aren't in a position to deal with such a complex issue. If the government believes that vaccination, mandatory vaccination, is necessary, this is a provincial health emergency. It is up to the provincial government to lead the way. The BCTF survey also addressed teacher concerns in the workplace. Ventilation and a general lack of information on COVID exposures topping the list. Only 46% of teachers surveyed feel safe on the job. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, let's get a look at today's COVID-19 numbers. We have 609 new cases with 4,748 active cases now. 422 people are in hospital. That is a big jump, but it reflects a data correction from the interior. 157 patients are in ICU. There have been six more deaths from complications of the virus and 84.7% of eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. Well, in spite of those numbers, there is a growing evidence that B.C. is getting a handle on the pandemic. New modeling data shows a stabilization in the situation with fewer new cases. Amata Gahi takes a look at, at the new trends. A warm welcome to Dr. Bonnie Henry! 18,000. 870 people packed into Rogers Arena to watch a hockey game in person. What made this possible is that every single spectator is fully vaccinated. We know if we were doing the kinds of activities we're doing today, last February and March, when we were not vaccinated, we would not be in the position we're in today. The position BC is in right now in regard to the global pandemic is stable and improving, according to a group of academics who have been studying all the available data to create the closest thing to a COVID-19 crystal ball. There's good news right now in that we're seeing not only have we bent the curve, but we're seeing slight declines in COVID numbers in all health authorities with projections of even more declines to come. The numbers are still too high, but the BC COVID-19 modeling group has found cases will lower over the next three weeks. And there is already a 2% decline per day with vaccinations continuing to protect the communities who have the strongest uptake. Now, apart from its strong vaccination numbers, there are a few other things that modelers say have led to the province moving in the right direction, and it's the measures that need to continue. What has really worked in this fourth Delta wave is that the province has really done more targeted measures, not an across-the-board ban on social interactions, social gathering size across the province, but really targeting where we're seeing high case rates, 
high demand on hospitalization. And I hope that that continues. The encouraging outlook is dependent on people continuing to do their part by wearing masks and following restrictions. Emadagahi, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more. Keith, overall, BC's outlook uh, seems more optimistic than it has mm-hmm. been, but parts of the province are by no means out of the woods yet. Yeah, we're a big province, and a big part of the province is certainly still has some very serious concerns. So you go to the Center for Disease Control website, call up their, their case maps, and they're just updated today. The darker the color uh, per capita, the worse uh, the geographical region is worse off with COVID-19. Basically, all of northern BC is dark brown. 81 ICU patients have now been flowing south out of the north. That's an increase of 20 in just 12 days, more than 10 from day to day. They also have the highest test positivity rate, 19.2% in the province compared to the provincial average of 4.8%. More than 100 cases a day when in an area with not a lot of people. The interior has also problems, but of a different strain. They lost 1,350 healthcare workers yesterday, yesterday because they're not vaccinated, almost twice the number of any other health authority. And now, quite apart from COVID, although COVID does play a role in this, the number of all hospital patients now exceeds the number of base hospital beds actually in the system. They've had to go in and use what are called surge beds to make up for this sudden surge of people being in hospitals in the interior with COVID and with other ailments as well. So again, uh, as the modelers are saying, the numbers are getting better in the interior as well, but they've now got fewer healthcare workers to deal with a surge in hospitalizations. And the North, the North remains a very, an area of very serious concern when it comes to severe illness and people in ICU. Yeah, this pandemic is not over yet. Mm. Right. Thanks for that, Keith. Residents at a senior center in the East Kootenai are very frustrated because they are no longer having their mail delivered to their complex. And it seems to be linked to B.C.'s vaccine mandate. As Catherine Urquhart shows us, it's a terrible inconvenience for many of them with mobility issues. Gus Meshwa is frustrated. Along with others at Joseph Creek Village Senior Center in Cranbrook, he stopped getting his mail two weeks ago. I'm not very happy with, with the no, no delivery. Resident Evelyn Rusi says they all received a memo from their care home. Canada Post has been unwilling to make compromises or work with Golden Life Management Team to find an appropriate solution. The letter goes on to say it's based on the public health order mandate of all visitors being vaccinated. In an email, Canada Post told Global News they've offered them an alternate temporary solution for them to receive their mail. That temporary solution? Residents picking up their mail at the local post office. But many are disabled and unable to drive. We cannot make it to the post office. They should have a heart. I mean, really, now we're all in wheelchairs and walkers and they expect us to go there. It's just not right. Golden Life, which manages the care home, says it's working with the local MP toward a solution. Canada Post says it's also trying to fix the problem. For residents of Joseph Creek, that can't happen soon enough. We couldn't see family and now this on top of it. It's enough already. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Pope Francis has agreed to come to Canada to help with reconciliation efforts with the Indigenous community. This comes after the discovery of unmarked graves at the site of several Catholic-run residential schools. The Pope announced in a statement he is willing to visit and will determine a date. 
However, due to the time it usually takes to organize papal visits abroad, it seems unlikely he will come this year. Francis previously invited residential school survivors to the Vatican to meet with him, and that is expected to happen in December. Now, we know these stories can be triggering, so if you or someone you know needs support, there is a crisis line operating 24 hours a day, 1-866-925-4419. Well, so much for the smash and grab. Thieves are getting a lot more sophisticated. The shocking way they're getting into storefronts without breaking any glass. Next on the News Hour. A true Halloween horror, the shocking display of racism on a Kelowna street, coming up. And sharing a love of charcuterie, the BC entrepreneur delivering something delicious in every box. That's coming up later. Right now, though, caught on video evidence that property crime in downtown Vancouver appears to be reaching unheard of levels. Security cameras catching a team of West End bike thieves going one step beyond smash and grab. Jordan Armstrong shows us how. And they came and they practically they removed the glass, this one. They took out all the creams around, they were prepared, they came with suction cups. Prepared and meticulous. Security footage shows several men casing the West End apartment building on two prior occasions overnight. This is a guy who came back on, uh, on Sunday. Then on Monday, the main character, note the same shoes, returns to finish the job. And he does well. They were prepared with bolt cutters as well. And they stole six bikes. Not just any bikes. The building manager says they took their time to find and steal the best bikes. Watch as the main guy uses a double suction cup to carefully lift the glass out of the door frame. Very, very careful, very meticulous. You know. Then, over a period of nearly three hours, he comes and goes, rolling bikes straight through the glassless door and onto the street. Even with that camera behind your shoulder? Even, they don't care about cameras. They don't care. They don't care. The bold and brazen theft is concerning, but not surprising to Vancouver police. It's a lot these days, and we're hearing it more and more. And as the police, we, we definitely share these concerns, and uh, we're doing our best to be a part of the solution. She says that includes more foot patrols, more bike patrols, more horseback patrols. The West End feels like the Wild West, says this wine merchant, who's had his glass not lifted out, but smashed out several times. Absolutely everybody has a story, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And the city of Vancouver is doing this much about it. Another small business owner didn't want to go on camera, but told us their employees are now sleeping inside the store at night to deter break-ins. It's easy how to know how to remove. You know? Back at the apartment building near Nelson and Bidwell, the manager is frustrated and plans to further fortify the complex. We try to reinforce now all the entrance. We already ordered, you know, metal stuff, you know, metal sheets. We have to put bars everywhere. It's a cost for us. It's an, you know, it's an extra cost we didn't, we didn't think about. It. We didn't plan for this year. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. All right, now a commuting nightmare and traffic is still quite congested on the North Shore tonight after a pothole on the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge caused huge problems during the afternoon rush. That's right, crews were preparing the pothole in the southbound center lane this afternoon. That led to some major gridlock causing significant delays throughout the North Shore. 
They did install a large metal plate over it, and that got traffic slowly moving across the bridge in both directions again. But some motorists, including our own Christy Gordon, got caught in that traffic for at least an hour and a half. Nasty. Frustrating. Oh, yeah, man. It's a long way. All the way to the ferry, man. No good. <laughs> Horrible. Frustrating. Horrible all day. Yeah, it's a little frustrating. Is it, is, it, is it tough to work when the traffic's like this? Yeah, it's near impossible. One hour. I've gotten about six blocks. The Ministry of Transportation says crews repaired a hole on the bridge deck. You could actually see the water down below. And crews will still conduct an inspection of the bridge to make sure there are no other defects in the road. Yikes. Hope folks are able to get home soon. All right, still ahead, the full extent of that container ship catastrophe. There's a good chance that a lot of them have already sunk. What's in all those containers lost at sea? And the latest on where some are washing up. But first, your best chance at cheap flights when you're finally ready to travel. Good evening. Seeing some big delays here over at the Portman Bridge for westbound traffic because of a major police incident at mid-span. Two lanes are currently blocked and traffic is backed up into Surrey on the approach. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy stay in your car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Portman Bridge. With travel demand picking up and the holidays just around the corner, it's expected airline ticket prices will soar. But there are some ways you can save on your next trip. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea has some tips on air travel. When it comes to air travel and striking a deal, much depends on your flexibility. If you can be flexible in one thing, and what I mean by that is either your destination or your dates, you can probably get a good price. Now, if you've got a fixed location you need to be, on a certain date, you'll never find a deal. Travel and money expert Barry Choi says the day you fly and the time your flight takes off can make a difference. Very early morning flights or late afternoon departures are sometimes less expensive. Even flying a Tuesday through Thursday is traditionally cheaper than flying through Friday through Monday. Given the high demand, Christmas holiday travel is often pricey. So Choi suggests going before the holidays or waiting until the new year. A week before Christmas, a week after Christmas. Well, that's when everyone wants to fly. If you're willing to travel in late November, early December, or even like end of January, that's when prices will be lower. Also, instead of a direct flight, consider a stopover. Let's say you want to go to Paris. You could fly into any city in Europe and maybe take a discount carrier or possibly a train. And it could save you money. It may take you long to get there. But at the same time, maybe that stopover is an opportunity for you to see more of Europe. It's also a good idea to get on mailing lists and set up price alerts. Sites such as Google Flights will allow you to input the exact search you want. And they'll send you an email every single day when the price has gone up or down. So when you see a price that you're comfortable with, just book it right away. Uh, additionally, you could sign up for mailing lists. And the reason you want to do that is because it's marketing. You know, they'll let their loyal customers know whenever there's a sale first. So again, if you get that email and they're saying 15% off flights or whatever, and there's a flight you've been eyeballing, go get it. And keep an eye out for deals come Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So you got to be ready to pounce on those deals because usually they even have Travel Tuesday. Uh, and as soon as those deals are gone, they're gone. So if you're ready to commit, uh, book right away. If you're looking to sign up for a credit card, Choi says now is a good time. With travel coming back, a lot of credit card companies want to entice you to sign up for their cards. So I'm seeing welcome bonuses that are worth hundreds, possibly thousands of dollars these days. 
cost-saving tips to offset higher fares. Andrewa, Global News. That accident involving a container ship near Victoria is worse than first thought. Nearly three times as many containers ended up in the water than were first reported. Ted Chernecki reports on what was in them and where a few are washing up on shore. It's been five days since the MV Zim Kingston caught fire and still it burns, though the fire is under control. The container vessel remains anchored 4.7 nautical miles south of Victoria. Shoreside air monitoring continues to show no negative readings. A total of 106 air samples were taken along the Victoria waterfront over the past 24 hours. Now that authorities have had a chance to go over the ship cargo data, it turns out many more containers fell overboard than previously thought. It's now been determined that 109 have gone overboard, not the 40 that was originally estimated via aircraft observation and crew reports. Um, as reported previously, only two of those um, containers that went overboard contain hazardous chemicals. Chemicals used in mining. There's potassium amyl xanthate. And uh, forgive my pronunciation on this one, but it's theurea dioxide. Potassium amyl xanthate is used to separate minerals, and theurea dioxide can be used to bleach fabrics. But where those two containers are remains an unknown because there had been no sightings until today. At 1300 today, three ISO containers and debris were identified at Cape Scott by a Coast Guard helicopter. That's 550 kilometers away on the very top of Vancouver Island. The Coast Guard was as surprised as anyone to spot them. So after two days of seeing nothing, we did definitely start to think that maybe we wouldn't see them. And the reality is the other 106 might not ever be seen, at least not on the surface. The watertight integrity is not that great. Um, so there's, there's a good chance that a lot of them have already sunk. Beachcombers beware because though there's a lot of different things in those containers... There's Christmas decorations, furniture, car parts, clothes, toys, yoga mats, stand-up paddle boards, industrial parts, and everything in between. Including those toxic chemicals. All 16 crew members were successfully evacuated from the ship, and the cause of first the loss of cargo in heavy seas, and second the fire days later, are both still under investigation. Ted Chernick, Global News. Well, the nasty weather is set to make a return. More warnings are in effect. Let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for more on the timeline of some heavy rain moving in. Yvonne. Yeah, this next system, Sophie, is a juicy one. It's got an atmospheric pattern, too, and what we'll see is a significant amount of rain that is going to move in. We can see that on the satellite and radar. Now, a heads up, the timeline, what we're anticipating, it is going to intensify, but it'll be late this evening, overnight, and through the day on Thursday. That's when you need your wellies, all your rain gear. Now, it's eastern areas of Metro Vancouver stretching into the the Fraser Valley, as well as the North Shore Mountains that we have between 15 up to 70 millimeters along Victoria could see up to 50, but the higher amounts will be for the western edge of the island between 80 and upwards of 100 millimeters this evening through the day on Thursday. Once we get past tomorrow, though, we do have the return for some sunshine. However, this evening we're tracking snow if you're traveling along the mountain passes. The amounts and timeline coming up very shortly. Guys. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. And just ahead, warning signs missed in B.C.'s deadly summer heat. Ecom felt so frustrated at their concerns being ignored, they considered holding a press conference. Why the Liberals say the government is partly to blame for a disastrous response. And a shocking display of racism, the Halloween decorations stirring up the wrong kind of ghost. 
Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series, an engaging interview series featuring inspiring BC leaders Saturdays on Global and Sundays on BC One throughout November. In partnership with Fortis BC, energy at work. Extra slow for southbound traffic on Highway 99 this evening. There is a rear ender southbound at the Highway 91 interchange. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy stay-in-your-car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 99 and Highway 91 in Delta. It's been more than five years since Arlene Westervelt died while canoeing with her husband in Lake Country, but the story surrounding her death continues to unfold. There are questions about the conduct of an RCMP officer in the days after Arlene's body was pulled from the lake. And this week, the officer in question filed his side of the story in civil court. Global's Jules Knox has more. Uh, thank you and uh, good morning, everyone. Brian Gately used to be a Mountie. And after Arlene Westervelt died while canoeing with her husband, Bert Westervelt, in June 2016, the officer took her cell phone and had it hacked using RCMP resources. That was on her husband's request and before a murder investigation against Bert had been launched. The two men say they knew each other because their wives worked together. And Bert told Gately he wanted pictures from his last day with Arlene. According to court documents filed by the government, in February 2019, an internal RCMP conduct investigation found that Gately engaged in a potential conflict of interest and misused RCMP IT equipment. But Gately disputes that. In court documents filed this week, he says there was only a perception of a conflict of interest. And he says the police force found that unlocking the phone was an isolated case which did not result in personal gain, so no sanctions were imposed against him. In fact, Gately also claims he was the catalyst for police learning that Bert had been untruthful during his initial interview with RCMP. Now regarding your question... Uh, the former Mountie denies trying to influence the investigation into Arlene's death or having a personal interest in the outcome of it. He resigned from the police force in March 2019. A month later, Bert Westervelt was charged with Arlene's second-degree murder, nearly three years after her death. But Bert has always maintained his innocence, and the allegation against him has never been proven. The charge was later stayed. In the civil suit, Arlene's family claims Bert and Gately were friends and alleges the former Mountie tried to shut down the investigation into Arlene's death. They're seeking damages. Gately denies the allegations and says the family has not suffered any losses because of his actions. In fact, he goes so far as to say that because RCMP had automatically downloaded the contents of Arlene's phone when it was unlocked, that information was available to officers when they did start investigating Bert for murder. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. A racist Halloween display outside one Kelowna home is causing a lot of hurt and anger. And a warning, some of the images in this story will be distressing. Images provided to Global News show a mannequin with a black head and hands hanging in a noose from a tree. That mannequin has now been taken down but is still part of the display, which also prominently features a Confederate flag. Kelowna RCMP say they have spoken to the homeowner and say these symbols only serve to fuel hatred and division. The homeowner wasn't home when Global Cruise tried to speak with him. 
Now, here's a tip for thieves. Asking police for assistance to break into an ATM is probably not a good idea. But that's what Vic PD say happened early Tuesday morning in the 900 block of Yates Street downtown. Officers approached a man as he was trying to break into an ATM. The suspect noted that someone was behind him. And without turning around to look at who it was, he asked for help. Well, the officers then identified themselves and told the man he was under arrest. He tried to run away. After a brief struggle, the suspect was arrested. He has since been released and the investigation continues. Well, you might remember nearly 600 deaths have been blamed on this summer's heat dome, including some tied to the province's overwhelmed 911 system and overworked emergency responders. Now, newly uncovered documents show the alarm bells were ringing at ECOM, the province's emergency communications operation, in the weeks leading up to the disaster. John Hua reports. It was a potentially deadly health emergency everyone saw coming. We've been talking about that dangerous heat that's coming. How to plan for extreme temperatures thanks to a heat dome descending on the province. And in the lead up to the heat dome that claimed the lives of 569 British Columbians in late June. 911, please fire ambulance. Those charged with answering the public's calls to 911 were sounding the alarm. The provincial system in place was set to fail. Ecom dispatchers were extremely concerned and the biggest issue that they had was trying to get the attention of government. Emails obtained by the BC Liberals through freedom of information requests show leadership at Ecom was worried. Critical staffing issues meant BC Ambulance and Emergency Health Services were the weak links. Back on June 3rd, an executive director wrote BCAS is compromising public safety overall by negatively impacting 911 call answerability due to delays with BCAS call answer. This is a very tragic uh, picture of what we believe could have led to some uh, prevention when it came to the heat dome. In the middle of the heat dome crisis, Ecom President Oliver Gruter Andrew explained to his board of directors. <laughs> on June 26th, Ecom received a record 8,000 calls. The next day, 7,300. On June 28th, 7,700 people called 911. That's when calls transferred to BC Emergency Health Services remained on hold for up to a half hour. Because ECOM dispatchers have to stay on the line, the backlog created overall wait times of 17 minutes to get through to 911. When people call 911, they should get an ambulance. That's what I think. And that's uh, why we're adding resources to meet that. In another email, Ecom VP of Operations Stephen Thatcher said the problem at BC Emergency Health Services was increasing over the past year. Seeing a similar tipping point occurred back on May 29th. They were pleading for desperately for help. Um, they seen the impacts on our patients. No one from Ecom was available to speak on camera to address the emails but told Global News the delays in transferring calls to BC Emergency Health Services continues to be of grave concern. John Hua, Global News. Still to come, the layoff that led to opportunity. Hello. A Whistler entrepreneur thinks outside the box for her tasty deliveries. And stolen kittens. Who would do such a thing? How thieves have a Langley attraction rethinking its holiday plans. You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
The owners of a Langley farm are reeling tonight and changing how they deal with the public after a heartless theft. As Grace Key reports, two of their new kittens were stolen by people who visited the farm. This is what we call the back 40. When Albert and his wife Dorothy first started the pumpkin patch back in 1988, it worked on the honor system. That was simple, peanut butter can. <laughs> and people put their money in and took a pumpkin. What started with one classroom visit grew to something they never imagined. You ought to see Deacon Jones when he rattles his bones. Not just singing pigs and hay rides, but they wanted their guests to have an educational, hands-on experience. But times have changed since the days of the peanut butter jar. So there are two enclosures of kittens here. Last week, one of their ten kittens went missing, and then on Tuesday, another one was gone. They believe a guest took the kittens during the middle of the day. But to see the disappointment, I think even in our grandparents' eyes of this, and to see their their foundation that they built is is not not solid there. They can't put that trust and respect um, and give that opportunity that they've always had. I think that that hurts them the most. So cute. The kittens have become a popular attraction at Alder Acres Family Farm near Fort Langley. <laughs> and children clearly can't get enough of them. Let other people have a turn with the kitties. Okay. <laughs> the farm that was built on the honor system now is a sign reading due to recent theft only open under staff supervision. It makes my heart break and it's like they open up their farm for everybody and it's it's really sad. And they open up their pens to let people come and play with the animals and then they take them. That's awful. Albert is taking all of this in on his 79th birthday and as you can imagine he has one wish. Oh no questions asked. If it arrives at the, beside the buildings tomorrow morning in a cage, uh, we'd be very thankful. Grace Key, Global News. Tiny. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> uh, okay, well, look, uh, things are changing in the weather here, and we need to be prepared for it. Yvonne <laughs> Shell has all the details for us. Yeah, heads up, especially as we get in late this evening and leading in through the day on Thursday. This is one of the wettest days, and then a nice break on the way, and I've got your Halloween forecast coming up in just a moment. So the heavy rain is on our doorstep. We're ready to see it, already starting to see it along the western edge of the island, a few spots for near Victoria, but it is going to intensify, especially late this evening, and when we're heading out for work and school in the morning hours, be prepared. It is going to be a soaker. We can see that on the future cast for the morning hours. There's that heavier band of rain. Higher elevations will be tracking that snowfall, especially overnight tonight and leading in through the morning hours. And then it is going to ease off for all areas. As we look ahead towards our Friday, we've actually got a ridge of high pressure that'll start to build in. Rainfall amounts once again. So the North Shore Mountains, eastern areas of Metro Vancouver and stretching into the Fraser Valley, 50 and up to 70 millimeters, but higher amounts along the western edge where we could see upwards of 100 millimeters of rain leading in through the day tomorrow. One of the uh, Drive BC cams, but it's a bit dark out there. This is along the connector, already starting to see some snow. Now, for most areas near the connector, 5 and up to 10 centimetres near the summit, similar, and for the Kootenai and Rogers Pass, we could see upwards of 10 and up to 15 centimetres with some of the heaviest snowfall late this evening and then easing off through the afternoon. But check in with Drive BC if you're heading along any of the mountain passes, especially for the early morning hours tomorrow. Now, the northern half of the province, bit of a different weather picture. The atmospheric river is taking aim along the southern half. We do have some drier conditions, especially for the northeastern corners. Much of the central interior tomorrow will see a fair bit of cloud cover. 
The rain for the southern interior picks up through the day for tomorrow. Heavy at times. A bit balmy, though, near Soyuz with the double digits and highs up to 11 degrees. And along the south coast with the early morning hours, as we get in towards the afternoon, we are going to see some of that heavier rain for our Friday. A break will be on the way. Windy conditions and into the weekend for both our Saturday and Sunday. So far, we've got sunshine, dry conditions for all the trick-or-treaters. Glad to hear it. Good to see the sunshine in there. Thanks, Yvonne. All right, Squires here now. Big game, obviously, last night, but not a big result. Well, at least the fans got to see hockey. Yeah, in person. They didn't see a win, but you know what? Canuck fans are used to that. (laughs) Over the long history of this team, Canuck fans now and before have suffered through losses. We'll talk about Vancouver, uh, the Canucks, that is, and why they aren't generating enough scoring chances these days. All right. Also tonight, some might say the pandemic has been no picnic. How a Whistler businesswoman would beg to differ later. Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series, an engaging interview series featuring inspiring BC leaders, Saturdays on Global and Sundays on BC One throughout November. In partnership with Fortis BC, Energy at Work. Big match coming up for the Whitecaps tonight, but before we look ahead, let's look back. It's Minnesota week. Last night was Minnesota. Tonight the Whitecaps are playing a team from Minnesota. I actually think we can excuse the Canucks 3-2 loss to Minnesota last night for this reason. You often see a team struggle in its first game back from a long road trip. The energy, though, should be better. It should be at a higher level for tomorrow night's game against the Flyers at Rogers Arena. Last night's game started a seven-game homestand for Vancouver. Now, the one thing, though, that should be getting concerning is the lack of genuine scoring chances for the Canucks, despite a decent-looking top-six group of forwards on paper. This is one of the few really good five-on-five chances for the Canucks. Now, Cam Talbot made a nice save, but these kind of rushes have been scarce. We didn't converge. We didn't create enough. We've, we've got to find a way to create more chances if we're, you know, I think we're defending a lot better. Uh, but you've got to still create and defend. On the surface, you might think a strategy a team employs would have to favor one over the other. Either you concentrate on defending or you concentrate on attacking. But the coach says that's not the case. You can defend well and create scoring chances. Uh, just got to play a little better. And a good chance isn't just an odd man rush or speed down the boards like Bo Horvat's goal last night. You also create good chances with sustained pressure. But that hasn't happened enough. You know, there's a lot of one and dones where I don't think we've, we can, I think we can do a better job of sustaining pressure and, and, uh, and wearing teams down that way. I think in the past we've done that. And I think, you know, I think if we can get all four lines going and doing that, that same thing and not just having, like I said, the one and dones, I think is going to, it's definitely going to bring our offensive game up. The offensive game would also come up if the Canucks offensive stars shined a bit brighter. Elias Pettersson did get an assist last night on a power play goal by Alex Chason, but after getting 12 shots on goal in the first two games of the season, 
Pedersen has only eight in his last five games. And last night his play didn't exactly move the needle enough for the Canucks. <sighs> I mean, it's tough after a loss when you're sitting here thinking about a lot of things, but I thought his game was average tonight. And for the Canucks to be successful, average and Pedersen cannot be in the same sentence too often. North Vancouver's Kyle Beach revealed he was the former Chicago Blackhawks player who told the team in 2010 that video coach, then video coach, Brad Aldridge allegedly sexually assaulted and harassed him. A recent investigation by an independent law firm showed the Hawks did not deal with it adequately at the time. It prompted the NHL to fine the Blackhawks $2 million. Chicago president, then-GM Stan Bowman, resigned this week. And now the NHL will meet with Joel Quenville, who was coaching Chicago in 2010 and now coaches the Florida Panthers, and Winnipeg Jets GM Kevin Sheveldayoff, who was the Blackhawks' assistant GM in 2010, to get their side of the story as to the lack of action at the time they were told. Now, as we said last night... Since mid-July, the Vancouver Whitecaps have had the second-best record in all of Major League Soccer. It's why they got themselves back in the playoff race after being left for dead by everybody who follows MLS. Tonight, Minnesota is in town, a team right ahead of Vancouver in the standings. It's a game the Whitecaps need to win. You've got to win your home games. Losing would not be a disaster, but a win would go a long way to securing a playoff position. Uh, we know we've done very well so far, so far but... Uh... The work is not over. There's three games, so we need to do the, the, the job done in the next three games. We had, it's like we had two different seasons in one, and um, now you know we're we're starting to really see what we have. And I think that you know everyone in the league is is kind of on notice now that you know maybe if we were if we were home uh, at the beginning of the season in BC Place, maybe it'd be a bit different because I think that we're a really tough team to beat there. Uh, we've proven that. Our record shows that. So I think right now we're just um, we're kind of riding with it right now. You know, we're just going and making the most of it. I don't think that's an excuse. Remember when Mark DeSantis was coaching, he said a lot of the problems were the fact that they had to play out of Salt Lake City. If the Whitecaps had had a normal season, I think they'd be definitely in a playoff position right now and not still fighting for one. We'll see what happens tonight. Look forward to that game. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, how the pandemic, some takeout food, and her wedding day inspired a Whistler woman to launch a brand new business. Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross Small Business Health Plans. Find out more at pacificbluecross.ca. In tonight's Believe BC, a Whistler woman has found success by embracing what her own experiences have taught her. When Amy Mack was laid off from her serving job because of COVID-19, she decided it was time to pivot. She came up with Picnic Whistler, and now she can barely keep up with the demand for her creations. Kylie Stanton caught up with her between jobs. Every good idea starts somewhere. Pieces of it rolling around in the mind, often a slow build, only breaking through when the timing is just right. We made it for ourselves one night when we were, you know, in lockdown, stuck in the house, not much to do. And with all the extra time, I said, might as well bring this idea to life. Amy Mack originally thought these charcuterie boxes would be a perfect fit for the wedding industry. Something she knew firsthand was lacking in Whistler. I couldn't find catering for the morning of my wedding. And I ended up eating 
take out in a styrofoam container in my wedding dress. And I vowed that nobody else should ever have to do that. But she quickly learned there's a much larger demand. Now the real estate agents in town love it as housewarming gifts and you know, it's just a great dinner for anyone. In the years since launching Picnic Whistler, the business has grown from boxes to boards, even tables. Hello. All of it hand-delivered, ready to enjoy. Great. We put a salami rose in today and manchego. You know, it's just a quality product. It's done really well, and uh, she's a delight. She's figuring ways to survive, and uh, she's not letting anything that's going on in the world stop her from being successful. Mac was laid off from her serving job when the pandemic hit, but it turns out the 15 years she spent in the industry is now serving her. When her commercial space is unavailable, she's able to use kitchens that are closed due to staffing shortages, a way to keep costs down and the business even more viable. We just use everything we can. The next step is to one day open a storefront. But for now, Mac is preparing for what's expected to be her busiest season yet. Her idea has not only filled the gap, it's a perfect fit. It just feels cool to find your spot and uh, be successful in your spot. Kylie Stanton, Global News. All right, well, now we're all hungry. <laughs> yeah, stomach's growling. We want it. But just before we all go to our respective homes for dinner now, uh, Yvonne, what's going on in the weather forecast? And you have our weather window tonight. Yeah, well, show us your weather window, uh, which is a great shot. This one's beautiful, Soyuz, and this one was captured by Melissa, so thank you so much. Uh, be prepared. We've got that rain that is going to move in, heavy at times, but it'll be late this evening and through the day on Thursday. That'll likely be the wettest, 15 up to 70 millimeters along the North Shore Mountains and then eastern areas. Once we get past the soaker for tomorrow, though, we've got dry conditions that dry out on Friday and fantastic so far. And most importantly, Halloween looks to be a dry one. A bit cool though for the evening, so plan accordingly with your costumes. Bundle up with the kids and the parents who will be out there too. I'm one of them. Thanks very much for watching everybody. Have a great night. Good luck to the Caps tonight too. Good night all.